Welcome to the Thinking Practitioner Podcast, a podcast where we dig into the fascinating issues, conditions, and quandaries in the massage and manual therapy world today. I'm Whitney Lowe. And I'm Till Luca. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Thinking, Thinking Practitioner. Practitioner. Hi, I'm Till Luca. When I was looking for a publisher for a book I wanted to put out, I was fortunate to have ended up with two offers one from a large international media conglomerate, and the other from Handspring, a small pub ballon run by four great people who love great books and who love our field. To this day, I'm glad I chose to go with them, Handspring, because not only did they help me make the books I wanted to share with you, the A&T series, but their catalog has emerged as one of the leading collections of professional-level books written especially for body workers, movement teachers, and all professionals who use movement or touch to help patients achieve wellness. And I'm Whitney Lowe, and Handspring's Move to Learn webinars are free 45-minute broadcasts featuring their authors, including one with you, Till. So head on over to their website at handspringpublishing.com to check those out. And be sure to use the code TTP at checkout for a discount. And thanks again, Handspring, for supporting and sponsoring the podcast. Good day, sir. How are things in the Rocky Mountains today? Things here are very good. A bright, windy day with a chance to sit with you and look back on this past year of podcasting with you. What a pleasure. And how are you doing? I'm doing well. It is reflection day for us, apparently. So this is uh, coming out in December and this is time for us. Uh, this is the time of year when we all tend to sort of look back over the year and um, wax over the things that we have done, where we've been, the paths that we have taken. So we're going to do that a little bit today in our podcast take a look at um, some highlights from episodes over the past year, some things that we got out of it and maybe suggest some things for everybody else to take a look at dive deeper in it as well. So it's because it's uh, it's surprised me to see how much we'd covered. And so I think it's a great exercise just for us to go back and update, you know, I want to hear how your takeaway is and what you, how you're thinking about some of those conversations we had in the last year, but like you said, it's a, maybe it'll give listeners a shortcut back into some things you're interested in diving into some more. Yeah, absolutely. And just as, as we get into this, I wanted to say also a thank you again to you for hanging out with me over the past year, because this is something I look forward to every two weeks to get to dive into some of these conversations and see what I can learn and, and uh, do. So I really appreciate your time and uh, uh, desire to keep going with it. That's touching. And yeah, I feel the same. It's true. It's, I really enjoy these conversations and it's great to be able to bounce ideas off of you. And, you know, some of the feedback we've received is that people really like it when we disagree. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, uh, what, looking, what <laughs> I'm looking for maybe, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. We it's don't a load of do crap. Just, I know, <laughs> we, but, uh, I appreciate being able to do that with you too. And take these things through from different points of view. Yeah. Good. All right, well, let's in? see what we agree or disagree on for our takeaways from, That's from right. this year. Yeah. So, so that uh, first episode we did in 2021, episode 30 was on, we called it Excuses, Excuses, Our Favorite Reasons Not to Blank. And we were talking about what seemed to get in our way of, at that point, it was New Year's resolutions or things we wanted to change. What do we do that instead of doing those things that we wanted to do for ourselves? Is that how you remember it? It is indeed. Yeah. I went back and kind of listened and looked over some of the things that we talked about. And I think that was um, a big thing that um, 
I think is, is a pervasive challenge for a lot of us. And one of the things that I was going to kind of reflect back on as I looked over this again is that, you know, I was trying to reflect on about some of my processes and, you know, focusing on uh, this was also calling into uh, attention. One of the episodes that we did last year, the one about um, uh, how we chart our own path in educational mm-hmm. processes and thinking mm-hmm. about like, the pandemic has forced us into a lot of uh, unusual types of circumstances. For example, you know, with continuing education courses and so many of the live courses being canceled, people were, were sort of forced into doing online uh, education things. And many of those are self-directed uh, things that you sort of do on your own time. And there's a lot of instances and in our program where people like jump in with great intention and, you know, purchase a whole bunch of courses and then we never see them again. And, uh, you know, I'm guilty of it too. Um, I've got a list of all kinds of things that I have uh, seen. Oh, wow, this is great. I want to do this and, you know, jump into this course and, you know, sign up for something. And then it's like a couple months later, like, oh, I forgot about that thing. So, well, uh, that's true. You and I are basically like shoveling content out into the world and the uptake is healthy, but that, but not everyone uh, ends up completing it. Yeah, because of uh, maybe some of those reasons. Mm -hmm. That's not always a bad thing, but I know I spend a lot of time thinking about, I bet you do too, how do I help people, uh, at least in the courses, how do I help them see it through? How do I help them stay engaged? Yeah. Uh, But there's, I I appreciated the perspective we took too, to talk about what got in our way, because there's so many, you know, time management strategies or goal achievement strategies, but to really, and sometimes celebrate the things that we do instead, uh, you know, it was a nice uh, break as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned how do we chart our path or whatever that was. That was episode 17. I looked it up. Oh, good. Yeah. Go back right. to that one. Yeah. So that's, um, you know, those were some of the things that, that came to my attention with, with us focusing on the, focusing on those kinds of things. And, and, uh, you know, I went back and I was looking over some of the stats that you had mentioned in that episode as well about the percentage of people that actually follow through on New Year's resolutions and things like that. And it's it's kind of depressing. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it's yes. It's depressing if if our goal is to follow through. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, some of it's the spaghetti against the wall effect, too. You know, yeah, we try a bunch of things and the things that stick are, are done are ready for those are the ones we're ready for. Yeah. So. Uh, so well, then what do we do? I think uh, our next episode, we talked about cervicogenic headaches. Mm. Um, and that was a fascinating one. I was really interested in this particular episode. I got a lot out of your um, classification schema on uh, those different um, headaches. That was a real interesting thing that you shared with us there. Well, that was inspired by uh, Toby Hall, some research he'd done around cervicogenic headaches. And they're a bit controversial as whether they're a thing or not in other ways, but there seems to be this class of headaches that responds really well to manual therapy. And one of the key definers is does movement of the neck make it worse? And if it does, that's, you know, at least has a cervicogenic component, you could say to that headache. And since we work a lot with movement and with sensitivity of the tissues around movement, then there's a lot we can often do for that kind of headache. Yeah. So yeah, it was a, it was a fun deep dive for me as well. Yeah. Always good for us to review a lot of these kinds of topics and, you know, for the you know listeners and practitioners out there too, just as a reminder, you know, when you, you come upon things, you're like, oh yeah, I took a class on neck things, or, you know, I read a bunch of stuff about neck things. It's always helpful to go back 
and do that again, because, you know, as we prepare for these episodes, we're often, well, I'll speak for myself, but I imagine the same is true for you. We're often going back and reading things that we've read before or looking at things that we've seen before and looking to see what's new and different as well. And, and I always get more out of it. Like, Oh, I've you know, read this article years ago and I missed that thing, you know? So, um, and neck, neck and headache pain is such a common thing for people to come see us for. It's, it's a good one to go back and, and really dive into. Episode That was episode 31. Yeah. So in episode 32, I talked to my old friend, uh, mentor and colleague, Art Riggs. Who, yeah. Uh, yeah. About his, just hearing some of his stories. And the, the, the subject was aging and aging well. Because mm-hmm. he's probably, I don't know, 15 years or so older than you and me. Yeah. And uh, he's just, he never surprised. I mean, he never ceases to surprise me about how engaged he is how energetic he is uh and yet and yet his attitude toward the numerous challenges that he faces you know in his own body and in his life is always an inspiration to me yeah i was you know i listened to this episode and was um i was really interested in some of the different perspectives that that you both shared in there and and this you know the aging thing is is one of those things that has been, it's been more on my radar as of late. Uh, when this episode comes out, I'm just a few weeks away from turning 60. Um, and yeah. so we're at, you know, some of those ages and, and I've just kind of felt this was interesting watching a lot of the, the icons of my youth. And that was, you know, the, the rock and roll generation, mainly of the sixties and seventies, you know, all these people that were the rebellious youth at that time mm-hmm. being old people now, you know, old mm-hmm. men and old women and, dealing with those issues about being old and aging and things like that. And it's just, uh, it's brought a lot of things to the forefront about, you know, looking at where we are in our lives and how, how those things affect us, each one of us, as we get to those places. And here we are doing our greatest hits, Whitney. Here we are. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I remember when. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So So then you, you had a lovely conversation with Drew Friedman, the Boston body worker. Yeah. Yeah, Drew's been a colleague and friend of mine for a number of years, and I've watched him just accomplish some really stellar things with what he's done with the Boston Body Worker Group there. And uh, I, you know, he's had some real challenges with uh, his clinic situation as a result of the COVID uh, pandemic, as have many. I've talked to practitioners all over the country. Lots of them have had similar kinds of things, especially, you know, running clinics and being unable to um, you know, uh, overcome some of the financial challenges that happened. This was during the height of the right. kind of the winter shutdown before the vaccines were around and that sort of thing. And, and mm-hmm. just, just the financial pressures that this whole thing has brought on to, to all of us. It's, um, it really tests us in many different ways of uh, being able to, to withstand some of those challenges. That's right. And this day, just to hear the stories were powerful, but then his, of course, his resilience and his kind of pragmatic attitudes, like here's what we had to do. Yeah. And how he, you know, stayed oriented around the things that still worked and the things he still loved to do. So yeah. That's great. Yeah. So uh, that was episode 33. In episode 33. And then in 34, we took a deep dive on thoracic outlet syndrome. Yeah. Um, one of those interesting uh, conditions that's um, you know, one of the things that we highlighted in there is the difficulty of kind of pinning down what this mm-hmm. even is, just because mm-hmm. there's so many different um, discussions and, and uh, you know, perspectives about thoracic outlet syndrome. And really we, we tried to kind of peel it apart and identify some things, especially some of the, the different variations on this with um 
you know, uh, potential entrapment of the brachial plexus in numerous locations between the scalenes with cervical ribs and underneath the pec minor, et cetera. So we're kind of peeling apart some of those things to try to get a better idea of what, what this actually is. Cause it's kind of one of those things that's not so well defined in, in our field. Or yeah. Field. And yet, I mean, it's, that can be a barrier to understanding any set of symptoms that it's hard to define. And yeah, thoracic outlet is one of those where, oh my gosh, it can be one of these three syndromes. And that gives this uh, sense that is predictable and reducible to a set of techniques. And sometimes it is, but many times it's not. So it was, it was great to unpack or tease that apart with you. Uh, what else, what other factors might be there and some actual strategies for that one. Yeah. And I think this uh, also highlights just the importance of uh, like you said, to being a little cognizant of the ways in which we try to compartmentalize our understanding of some of these things into discrete conditions and problems that have clearly defined boundaries, because that that can get to be a challenge in and of itself. Well, um, and, and I am way into uh, the complexity and, the, and not pigeonholing things and understanding that things are often complicated or multi-causal multi or even hard to pin down. Yeah. But that's not where I like ending the conversation because the, even in those situations there's still things we can do there's mm -hmm. still things that we can perceive or assess or sense and things we can do that help so that was that's important for me to bring into yeah and i think we did that there as well yeah and what do we do in 35 35 was that was fun that was uh we traded geek lists of yeah, things that, that inspire our learning resources that inspire our learning is what we called it after the fact but we just we got into like our favorite podcasts our favorite tech tools our favorite music even yeah and it was uh, i got i got some great ideas from you and went and checked them out it was fun just to go through some of mine as well yeah likewise i got some really good um places to go go look at things something came up for me looking back at this episode and looking over the script about it i was in a conversation with some of the the other day that was talking about book collections because you know i have i have too many books um and you know it's um in the olden days a lot of it was they were falling off my bookshelves because I was yes. running out of space in my office. And now they're falling off my iPad because I have so many <laughs> books loaded onto my iPad. It gets heavier and heavier by the day. Really? Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, they were talking about like, Hey, do you really need all these books? Um, and I said, you know, I, I heard this great analogy from somebody else. It's like a really fine wine collection. I may not ever drink all of yes. those bottles, completely yeah. myself, but knowing that they're there and knowing that I can go there and find things. And sometimes I do just go get one little piece out of this book. Cause I need it right at this time. That's why I like to kind of, um, gather those things up. And we talked in that episode a lot about collectors, yes. you know, who were the collectors oh, that were gathering right. that kind of stuff and, and holding on to it. And so that's, that's one of my, um, uh, faults about, um, gathering and, and not letting go of things is, is just around books and resources. Uh, I think I'm there. I'm there with you. I like yeah. the company of books. Yeah. They are not clutter in my mental landscape. They're companionship. Yeah. Uh, the more, the better in some ways. Yeah. And I acknowledge a fair degree of the FOMO for those who know that is acronym FOMO, the fear, fear of, of missing, missing out. out. Yeah. Um, I have that, like, if I don't get this, uh, there's oh. going to be some gem in there that I'm going <laughs> to wish I had, you know, so um, I've got that on those kinds of resources. So of course, you read them all, yeah. or else you go to our episode 30 and pick one of those excuses not to. <laughs> there you go, right? <laughs> yeah. Good. So, 
And so speaking of learning, yes. um, 36, you talked to Robin Anderson. That was cool about uh, research, education, her work with the foundation, her work with her community college, a bunch of things. Yeah. So this was an education deep dive and and we were both kind of geeking out on this being, you know, uh, educational geeks about this. And one of the things that really kind of came back to me about this episode that is uh, a thing that I think about a great deal and really ponder about is, is really, uh, and this question has been coming up for years is, you know, where are we going in our field and profession with our training programs? Are we going towards the future of traditional degree programs? Will we stay as proprietary educational, you know, small micro credentialing programs and things like that? And these are some huge questions I think that will uh, have a great deal to do with steering the direction of where we're going in the future. And, and, um, you know, I don't know, there's a lot of people who just feel like we need to uh, increase standards and, and increase the participation in the traditional academic environment with, you know, getting massage therapy, for example, to be a degree program. And um, I'm not so sold on that idea as I used to be um, just because of a lot of things that I see changing in the educational landscape. So um, I think a lot of this is going to happen after I have already hung up my cleats, but I am uh, very interested in, in trying to look at the future of where those things are going and see what kind of you know, places I'll participate in the direction somewhere down the road. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, um, that's quite an image hanging up your cleats. I'm not there yet, okay. but uh, no, no. it's, it's closer than it was. Uh, right. Yeah. Right. I, I wanted to ask you just this question. I'm going to bounce back for a second to our question about um, our, your episode about aging with art. Yeah. And just ask you this, do you happen <laughs> to remember yeah. the time when you kind of looked around at your world and said, there's probably more behind me than there is ahead of me. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, for you sure. Remember probably, when... probably 40th birthday. Uh-huh. You know, who knows? Maybe numerically not, but it sure felt like the crest of a hill in many ways. Yeah. It's getting downhill from here. <laughs> I don't think I really slowed down enough to to kind of have that perspective and think about it until I was in my late forties, even almost maybe even to my early fifties. I think I started really Uh thinking along those lines. No, that's true. It's there's different levels of reflection on that perspective and different ways. It looks too on this side of the Hill. Yeah. And you're coming up to your 60th. That's just such a great thing. But my 60th, which was pretty recent too, was so powerful for me personally. And, uh, in spite of, you know, uh, being much less of my life likely left than is behind me, it it did somehow uh, excite me to be facing it and to realize there's so much that's possible. Ended up, you know, having a conversation. Art Riggs was there, in fact, with many of my I invited many of my older friends to talk to me about aging. And we had a, like a Zoom birthday party, and it was really, uh, yeah, it was really helpful and useful. Yeah. Well, speaking of getting older and having those kinds of things happen, my shoulder's been bothering me a lot oh. lately. And we talked about shoulder pain in episode thirty-seven. Yeah. I was going to say I got an episode for that. Yeah, that was uh, episode thirty-seven: shoulder pain, impingement, and rotator cuff issues. Do you think what's going on with you fits in that? Uh, and not quite. I think I've got okay. more bicipital tendon issues, um, but Ooh. that could be, you know, impingement could be going on there to some degree. So there could be some 
uh, impingement problems happening there. But yeah, we talked about terminology issues and some, you know, looking at some new perspectives around some of those um, kinds of things with, um, you know, alternative causes of, of potential shoulder pain. And what, what is the formerly called shoulder impingement syndrome? And, and right. what are we now looking at with terminology around that? And how does that also change our perspective of what's, what's going on in there? And the short version is it's, it seems to be really useful to call the situation for its effects rather than for its presumed cause. So, uh, a, uh, you know, the pain in your shoulder is a, probably a much more accurate uh, description than an, an impinged uh, bicepal yes. tendon, for example. Yeah. Because there can be so many mechanisms involved and there's so many debates about that, mm-hmm. that we, when we come into, this is the point we made there, when we come into it, assuming a mechanism that shapes our approach. And if we come in assuming an effect, then we can probably be even more specific in what we're doing. Yeah. And I also have to believe that this has an impact too on the way the client perceives what's going on with them, you know, in terms of talking Absolutely. about, you know, oh, I've got something pinched in there. You know, I got to spread it apart or something like that. Just the mindset right. of what needs to happen there. And so, uh, so yeah, I think those the, the words matter. The words and the names matter. Uh, well, and then we went and uh, continued the conversation in 38 and called it frozen shoulder for goodness sake. Yeah which is one of those terms that brings to mind all sorts of probably unhelpful things. Yeah. But uh, we talked about that and we talked about uh, again, some of the questions involved about mechanisms, some of the populations that are most likely affected or factors and, and how that comes up and some of the thoughts, the conventional wisdom about it having a natural history uh, of I mean, meaning resolving itself in many cases is that, does that seem to be the case or not? And then the role of manual therapy, of course. Yeah. An important yeah. distinction, I think, too, about this, because this is another one of those conditions that is so poorly defined and, and yeah. poorly identified in many situations is, you know, making some distinctions between those things that are um, muscular bound restrictions of the shoulder as opposed to a true adhesive capsule situation, because uh, that's oftentimes poorly delineated in, in many in many cases. I like how you consider the capsule true. Consider it true. Yeah, you what? said a true. You said a true oh. capsular uh, adhesion. Yeah, but so. uh, or sometimes we'll call it, if it's like tissue based, we'll call it real. It's really stuck. It's not just uh, you know yeah. that we're about imaginatively it. stuck. <laughs> right. But that's uh, I actually like uh, flipping that for myself. It's a good distinction. It's one I use all the time in my work. Is it a, is it uh, stuck together on the physical plane mm-hmm. or is it more of a subjective experience of being painful to move? And so I don't yeah. for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. I really like that distinction, but I challenge myself on my assumptions about which is more real or mm-hmm. which is which I can affect and which I can't or you know, yeah. those kinds of things. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and the word true is probably... Um, inappropriately used there. We should just call it capsular adhesion. I guess the, one of the reasons that that word has snuck in there so much is because there's been so much false description of that as a capsulitis when it really okay. wasn't. And so yeah, we talked about, right. well, this That's one right. really is capsulitis. It really true. is capsular That's adhesion. true. There's that word again. That's true. <laughs> that we do, the debate does get uh, true or false around what is the mechanism yeah. rather than what is the effect. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a bias that is so pervasive in our, and probably ever since Descartes, which is saying, 
you know, there's the material world and there's the mental or, you know, the outer world, the inner world. And with the outer world, the one we share in quotes objectively is the true one. And the other one is subjective and cool yeah. too, but not as real. Yeah. Which um, with your psychology background and with mine, I mean, early on, that's not a distinction that is as pronounced in the world of psychology as it would be say in physics or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then body work is somewhere here in the middle where um, people hurt and that can have a physical component or maybe not. And which one is true? Yeah. And I would say all of those things force us in the direction of some interesting critical thinking, Okay. which is our segue into episode 39 discussion you had with Ruth Werner. <laughs> Smooth. Nice. Yeah. I like how you cut, got me back on track there. That's right. Yeah. Ruth and I had, we really missed you. We wanted you to be there, but the timing didn't work out. We, uh, we had a great conversation about thinking critically. And uh, this was as she, I think she had either just published or was about to publish her article, her extensive article in Massage and Bodywork magazine about that same topic. Yeah. And uh, she had interviewed me, and I think you too, and some other people about in preparation for that article. And we just got started. So then I wanted to talk to her. So I got a chance to interview her in depth in that conversation. And I always like talking to Ruth. It was a good conversation. Yeah. Yes. And you all got into some really interesting, fascinating stuff there. And that kind of uh, segued into also the uh, piece that we ended up doing for the ABMP CE Summit on mm-hmm. on critical thinking, too. And that was a nice expansion of some of those uh, ideas as well. We got to be on that panel together and each share some of our perspectives Yeah, on critical thinking. That was fairly recently. Yeah. Yeah. And Cal Cates was on that panel. Which she segues was, us I, into were. our next episode forty here. Yep, Cal was there with us, and it was how not to fix it. And uh, Cal wanted to talk about uh, death and dying, and I was like, "Okay, let's yeah. do." It's this an interesting, cool. interesting topic. We don't really get into that much, um, certainly on our podcast, and it doesn't get a whole lot of traction, I think, in in our field. But Cal had written this article a while back and had gotten quite some some uh, response and feedback from people about looking at those things. And and Cal was talking about how this has uh, impacted practice and interactions with clients and things like yeah. that, and some very fascinating um, aspects of that. That's right. No, her article, we do talk about her article, which I think was 2018. And then some of the more recent work around death and dying. And it was a fascinating dimension. And that's, that's the focus of Cal's work with her group, Heal Well, too. Mm-hmm. So we got to hear how they're doing that in hospitals and hospices and training providers, things like that. Yeah. As well as things we can all consider in our own process of moving forward with life and being with clients who are doing that. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those um, episodes that I enjoyed a lot because it really got me out way outside my traditional sort of comfort zone of things that I focus on a lot with with my work and the orientation of what I'm usually doing. So I was out there a, a good bit in in more unfamiliar territory, and that always uh, is helpful for pushing the edge of of learning more significantly. So I got a lot out of that whole discussion. Me too, and yeah. just want to give Cal and her group a plug heal well they were kind enough to actually formally sponsor us for a few episodes there but it's Mm -hmm. the the emotional support or the moral support we give each other is really mutual and appreciated there yeah indeed 
And then in so, episode 41, mm-hmm. we went again to another interview uh, episode, this one with Diane Matkowski, uh, the massage mentor. And this yeah. was um, also some fascinating stuff that uh, she had been getting into at this time too, with the uh, kicking off the shoulder jam and a lot of the other um, educational ventures that, that she's into. And just been a really good, I think, role model for so many people about seeing a vision carrying it through and really creating all kinds of opportunities for people. Um, it was an inspiring, yeah. inspiring picture. We called it going for it because that's what Diane did. And, and Diane's is, is she's my buddy, but she's also just such a big inspiration about how she'll get an idea and then just make it happen. Hmm. And uh, she's building big things as we speak. And in fact, we're, uh, I hope to get her back. I think it is probably next episode to talk about her next project, the inside job series that you're a, you're a teacher on as well. Yeah. So we're looking forward to that. Another um, discussion with her about some of those kinds of things, because these are some of the things that are um, about the vision that drives us to accomplish the things that we want to accomplish and get to the places that we want to get to. And like so many people do wonderful things on a day in day out basis with their clients in the treatment room. But a lot of times it's really helpful to, to focus on and think about that bigger vision of why, you know, why do you go through the difficulties and challenges that uh, the, that work really entails? What is it that's, you know, your mission behind the whole thing? I think it's really helpful for us all to, to remember and align with that when we can. That's right. And then her, her tagline, is, you know, success is an inside job. Mm-hmm. It's just, that speaks a lot right there. It's yes, great. indeed. Yeah. It's Kathy Ryan was with us in episode 42 to talk about scars and scar tissue something that's become a specialty for her uh, in the you know after the book she wrote for handspring on the subject so it was and she was somebody that i went to uh at a time that my wife was going through some treatment that in, you know that involved a lot of scar recovery and things like that so kathy was a great advisor to me she's also somebody i went to and interviewed uh in my putting together of the our inflammation series so it was fun to close the circle and talk to her a little more and very specifically about working with scar tissue in a massage therapy context. Yeah. And this is a, a topic that I think really needs a lot of kind of updating and looking at some of the newer research and stuff, because many mm-hmm. of us were taught some sort of formal ideas about scar tissue that haven't proven to be what we thought they were initially with, you know, how it's managed, what it is and what it, you know, what it does. And, and she was uh, bringing some really uh, good perspectives with, with newer research and understanding of, of some of these kinds of concepts and how to work with them on a, on a therapeutic level. That was really helpful. I thought. Yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. Then. And uh, then in 43, you had a solo episode interview there. That was interesting as well. That was with Marcella Otolora, who is a researcher in the only FDA-approved clinical trial for MDMA and PTSD. So MDMA is you know, commonly known as the party drug ecstasy, but it turns out that it has a pretty remarkable effect in helping people work through PTSD and trauma. And so I really wanted to get her on the podcast and talk about the study and especially how the body is part of the traumatic response is basically their thinking as I understand it is that something like MDMA helps take the amygdala offline 
basically turns off the part of the brain that's dealing with threat so that you can essentially experience and feel and process things that you're normally keeping out of your consciousness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so you get to do that in a context that's much more uh, benign or agreeable or, uh, or even pleasant, which has some interesting parallels to our work too, that we're actually giving people sometimes physical experiences that might be intense, but often it's in a context that's agreeable or pleasant or that we can relax into and then things are better or different afterwards. Yeah. And I think there is a lot of corollary between many of those kinds of experiences and some of the things that happen in our uh, massage sessions. And there's a lot that we can learn from some of those kinds of explorations for sure. So that was episode 45. She talked to about her, about MAPS, the, uh, the organization that is seeing through her phase three trials and things like that. So it was mm-hmm. a good conversation. Yeah. And then you got to talk with Doug Nelson in episode 44. You called it table lessons, but you went a few places with him. Yes, indeed. You know, so Table Lessons, uh, this name came, of course, from Doug's books. Um, He's got, you know, two volume series called Table Lessons, which is basically stories from his practice of things that he's encountered. And one of the things that I brought up a lot um, in there in in our discussion, and I really like the way he handled this in his books was these weren't a series of kind of lessons of here's what was wrong and here's what I did to fix it. Most of these stories in the clinical environment left with question marks at the end about like what really happened? What were some of these outcomes? Where did this go? Because that kind of often is the case in many of our situations that we may not get full resolution on a lot of kinds of things. And and each one of these kinds of encounters in the clinical treatment room often leave us with questions about what did we do? What did we not do? Or what did I learn out of this kind of situation? And, And that was a really valuable perspective, I think, uh, to, to hear him talk about from decades and decades of lots and lots of treatment sessions with, with probably thousands of clients at this point. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's a great spokesperson for that point of view Yeah, of, uh, of that questioning and listening perspective. Yeah. And another thing that he really brought to the forefront too, and this is, you know, valuable coming from somebody who, you know, at the point that we were talking, he was the president of the Massage Therapy Foundation and has been very involved with research for many years, looking at the importance of translating that research into our clinical practice, but also keeping in mind that in many instances, what happens in clinical research uh, can often be somewhat fictitious and I don't know if fictitious is the right word, but constructed environments that aren't really reflective of what happens with our direct one-to-one interactions with people in the treatment room. So Uh, keep that in mind sometimes as you're, you know, reading and looking at research uh, studies that some of these kinds of environments could have different impacts or, or different results and outcomes because that's that's not really a real treatment environment. The context isn't always the same as we're dealing with. And so the conclusions may or may not be relevant. Of course, you're saying, yeah, keep that in mind as you're reading your research. I'm saying, I would say, put it out of your mind if you stop yourself from reading research because of that, because that's often one of those uh, reasons we have for not uh, seeing what we can learn from research. It's like, yeah, that's research. That's not really that relevant. Yeah. Uh, True. And maybe there are ways that we can learn something from that, of course. Yep, indeed. And we had a fascinating discussion with Robert Schleip in episode 45. Um, Speaking of research. Yeah. Yep. Speaking of research and based on his book, Fascia and Sport and Movement, 
Mm-hmm. And uh, he shared with us, you know, some of the new things that he's discovering, working on. And we talked a great deal about, um, you know, what is going on with the, under our hands and what, what are some of the both misconceptions and concepts and ideas that really tell us about what's happening with this particular type of approach? Um, some really uh, fascinating stuff that we learned from him there. He's, uh, he's been an inspiration and a mentor of mine, as I've mentioned before. But I, his book is titled, uh, like you said, Fascia in Sport and Movement. And yet his background is as a manual therapist. So I really wanted to connect that. Uh, I'm going to come back and see how what he's writing about or getting all of the other contributors to that book to write about how that applies to manual therapy. And uh, he, he accommodated me, but it was also the case that so much of what he's saying is like, we need to be moving people more. We need to get people over their lack of movement yeah. in the right dosage. Cause he, and he made it a couple of times in our talk. It's not like just more movement is better. Somebody who runs every day might have more Achilles tendon issues than someone who just runs three times a week, but the couch potato has even more than either one of them. He says, yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's a way that keeping our physical body our connective tissues, like our fascia healthy through movement and, uh, and uh, activity is really important. And his background as a manual therapist, of course, and the people that he invites him to talk about that in the book is really, is really uh, educational for me. Yeah. And I think that that had a lot of connections with, with other things that we were, were talking about with a couple other episodes, emphasizing movement that, that came up again, both in uh, the episode that I had with Jamie Johnston and Eric Purvis, and also in our discussions with Todd Hargrove, uh, you know, who's been a big movement advocate for so many years. And I think we're seeing and hearing a lot more of that, whole concept and idea of, of movement re, really needs to become a lot more integrated in what we do with, with many of our client uh, approaches. Well, at least if we want a shift in symptoms, because mm-hmm. often there's uh, you know, that's what our clients want. They want less pain or they want to move better. Yeah. And so it's, there's a limit as to what we can do passively with someone on the table. There's a lot we can do, yeah. but there's a limit too. at least if the goal is to shift someone's ongoing chronic symptom yeah that often that does come down to movement as being the way that's going to change yeah and robert was clear about that he also you know he made his uh the soundbite of course from that conversation was that he saw a lot of the debates around whether fascia changed or not as being a social north american social media phenomenon he said Mm -hmm. that in their world of research is like uh of course it changes here's and in fact we're learning more about how it does Maybe not in the plastic, simplistic way a lot of us body workers were taught, but mm-hmm. there's change going on all the time. Yeah. In fashion. Yeah. And so in episode 46, we got into iliotibial band controversies and approaches. Some of the things trying to understand, better understand and, and dive deep and explore some of what's going on in the IT band. Um, yes. This is one of those, speaking of fascial and connective tissues, one of those ones that gets a lot of focus and attention both because of its size, mechanical role, and um, role that it plays in a lot of other kinds of, of disorders in the lower extremity, hip, and pelvis region. Let's say role a few more times as we talk about this. Yeah. Uh, ITB, because there, again, that's one of the controversies, like, should we roll it or should we uh, yes, not? roll in a different way? Yeah. Uh-huh. And we do talk about that in that episode, and we talk about the ways that I think we each approach it and some of the reasons we might even be an issue in our populace, uh, you know, uh, sensitivity there on the outside of the leg, it's rolling balance and stability across the knee, those kinds of things. Yeah. 
Yeah. So we did some kind of deep dive into physiology of the iliotibial band, looking mm-hmm. at its, um, you know, physiological makeup um, and yeah. also biomechanically what it's really designed to be doing and, and like, can you loosen it in particular? And should you be trying to do that? Uh, Is that the goal? Right. Yeah. 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 Yep. And that was, even with that, uh, those considerations and caveats, we found um, hands-on things to share. And that was one of those episodes where we put together a handout. You pulled some of your gems out of your treasure chest and I threw a couple in myself. I threw in some gravel to mix it up, you know, and then uh, we put it out as a handout that people could go download for free for that one and and a few of the others as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, we kind of continued our lower extremity um, structure and biomechanical approaches in episode 47, talking about uh, overpronation. Yeah. Getting over overpronation was our title of that episode. That was kind of interesting. You were doing some foot and ankle stuff with a course at that time, I believe. Right? I was. That yeah. was one of that was one of the two month online principles courses about the foot, knee, and leg. But they, yeah, that overpronation story. And I I enjoyed taking the devil's advocate and really highlighting the research that questions whether or not overpronation is a problem like it's pain or difficulty or performance issues are not really well correlated with arch height. Mm-hmm. It's not like if you have a low arch, you have more foot pain statistically. Yeah. So looking at some of our goals or our assumptions there around when we're working with an ankle that pronates a lot or doesn't pronate a lot. Yeah. So, uh, and these are, these are things too, that are constantly, I think, uh, evolving with our understanding better biomechanical physiological uh, understandings of what's happening in those tissues and, and seeing what's the role of manual therapy in, in trying to address some of these things. Because uh, this gets back to the whole movement issue. We mm-hmm. can do all kinds of work with people's feet um, when they're on the treatment table. And that may or may not change a whole lot of what they're doing with movement when they actually get out and start moving around a lot. So we have to, to look at, you know, how do we help support better, uh, more appropriate movement if that's a necessary goal or yeah. not. Well, and then if we do take the movement lens, how would that change our table work? Because it's totally changed my table work mm-hmm. in the last 10, 15 years to think that movement becomes the goal and uh, or helping someone move more and easier and uh, you know uh, more comfortably in their own life. What if that's the goal? What is that the result I want from my table work? Yeah. And to something that is so uh, solid as an ankle joint where what's uh, and the foot, you know, the tarsal bones, those kind of relationships. What are some things we can do that actually make movement more possible mm-hmm. in the ways that we hope it to be? Yeah. So as we yeah. talk about um, controversies and issues that yeah. certainly came up, we did a rebroadcast in episode 48 of uh, an episode we had done earlier on. So as work, uh-huh. um, is it we safe picked, and is it necessary? Yeah. We picked that because it was one of our most downloaded episodes from the previous year. And sure enough, like this one, this year, again, it got right up there. People want to hear about the psoas. And it's, it's, I think it's one of those love hate things. And I can be sure that if I do, uh, if I want some interesting controversy, all I have to do is mention psoas on social (laughs) media. And sure enough, some people will be, you know, everything from it's the sacred seat of the soul to this is a bunch of hooey. Yeah. And you can't even touch it. So why are you talking about it or shouldn't be even touching it? So we, we do talk about that range of perspectives 
and where we each stand on that and our and our own approaches toward working with the OSOS. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, I think, uh, not going away anytime soon. It's probably going to continue to be uh, that. So um, if you were bet, feel, feeling we'll lonely and want some interaction with people, go out and poke the bear and say, you know, so as right. work with us on social media. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so as work is God or so as right. work is baloney, whatever yeah. one you want to say that. Right. And it's going yeah. to response. Posted in one group. So oh. as work is God and posted in another group of so as work is baloney and see what, what your responses are. So, That's yeah. it. so 49. then where'd we go? 49. Yeah. What do you feel? It's we like should have it. done this episode with an old overdub of Peter Frampton's. Oh. Do you feel like I do <laughs> song or something like that for our interoception? Uh, yeah. Well, I, I got to say background music is on my wish list. Uh-huh. I don't know if we're going to get it in 2022 but sometime yeah so that's that's a great one i'm gonna make a note of that maybe you and i should do some background karaoke to some of these episodes or something and that'll make our listener list drive down you do the soundtrack and i'll do the visual how about how limp sync to your your sound okay but uh, episode 49 we talked about uh interception and that was uh an article a topic that i picked to write for 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 uh, massage and body work and you were kind enough to interview me on that and help me elucidate or elaborate some of the ideas I had about it. And the article was called Three Questions on Interoception. And I took three common questions that therapists ask their clients, like, are you comfortable? How's the pressure? And can you relax into that? And looked at them from an interoceptive point of view, like how the brain, what, what parts of the brain you're actually asking to come online when you ask those questions and how to actually help get useful answers to those questions to useful responses as well. And then like I you said, was... the, role, the role of just feeling in general, how maybe feeling becomes, if we think about feeling as like a medium, maybe the, you know, there's muscle, there's connected tissue, there's movement, but maybe it's even feeling the perception or the sensation that we're producing with our hands. Yeah. And, you know, you have talked about this a number of times, and, and I think this is, is really valuable is for us to kind of zero in on some of those sorts of things. When we talk about treatment goals with our clients, you know, yeah. what, what do you want to be feeling um, when this is complete or how will you determine this is complete? How will you feel? Um, That's right. How the client feel? And also how we feeling, where does our interception as practitioners yeah. play into that? What happens in our bodies as we're working and how can we incorporate that? Yeah. Use that. Mm-hmm. Great. Episode and 50. so 50, we had, uh, this was an episode I did, uh, an interview with uh, Jamie Johnston and Eric Purvis from the Massage Therapy Development Collective um, podcast in Canada. We talked about yeah. a lot of across the border issues. Um, I, th- I think I said collective, I meant initiative, uh, Massage Therapy Development Initiative um, uh-huh. for their podcast there. So uh, this was an interesting um, exploration of things that we've grappled with here in the the U.S. and things they've grappled with in Canada along similar lines, especially around educational requirements, types of um, program evaluations, some of the issues around continued education, things like that. And always good to have a different lens to look through, um, to, to look at some of these different issues and see how, how they're perceived in these different, because uh, there's uh, cultural, legislative, uh, you know, systematic mm-hmm. things that all influence the way our, our professions are perceived 
in, in different places. And it was really, uh, it's always good to get outside your own lens of bias and look at that through, through different glasses. That's right. And it, I think most, most American therapists are aware that a Canadian massage therapist typically has been through a whole lot more formal schooling than their American counterparts, at least in the field of massage therapy. And so that's, it's always interesting for me to have those conversations across the border, but then the teaching I've done in Canada too pushes my technical skill to another level. And then looking for ways that we can uh, dialogue and, and talk about our work that, uh, you know, are, are, uh, are useful from both perspectives, but no, it was great. I enjoyed the conversation you had with them and, and their own dedication toward raising the bar but in a balanced way that includes not just the technical. Yeah. Right. And another important point they brought up in this discussion too, and, and I've had this discussion with a couple other practitioners is, you know, we often make these sort of more generalized statements about massage therapy education being so much more extensive in Canada. And like that just said, is yeah. not necessarily true. <laughs> okay. It depends on what <laughs> province you're talking about, because, uh, oh, okay. you know, Ontario and British Columbia, that's probably true. I see. Uh, in Alberta and Manitoba, it's not. So, um, you. you know, that that's one of those things that you know, we get kind of sucked into some of those kinds of generalizations, both about education there, as well as uh, here in the, in the U.S. as well. Um, All right. I think, yeah. Important distinction. I, uh, I, I stand corrected and I stand yeah. uh, specified. So thank you for that. Yeah. So in our episode 51, we had a great conversation with uh, Todd Hargrove on uh Neuroinflammation, which I know a topic near and dear to your heart, uh, yeah. your focus on inflammation and everything. Yeah. And it's uh, neuroinflammation being a systemic inflammation that affects the functioning of the nerves or might even inflame the nerves themselves. And Todd did a eloquent blog post on some of the sources of that or effects of that. So it was great to get him on the show and have a conversation with him about that and about inflammation in general. And we went a few places together, but I did also enjoy that conversation with him. And again, he's a, he's got a background as a manual therapist. So we're connecting those dots back to what we can do on the table and with our hands in a way that I found really interesting and satisfying. Yeah. And for those not um, familiar with, with Todd, he's done some uh, wonderful explorations and and put together some really good stuff. He's got a very fascinating podcast too. I would encourage you to take a listen to that, the Better Movement podcast um, mm -hmm. and some other uh, things um, that, that he's put together in a book he's published and everything like that. So a great resource there for expanding your vision about what you're doing with soft tissue work. Check it out. I mean, that was episode 51. And all these guests were mentioning, I mean, we should just be pointing people to the show notes because of both on your side and on mine, we do list the, uh, you know, the resources we're talking about and how to dive yeah. in a little deeper with this. Yep, absolutely. Then this pretty, we're almost wrapping up the year, episode 52. I got to talk to you about uh, orthopedic special tests, which had come up in your conversation with Jamie Johnston and Eric Purvis, but you, we got to really pick your brain about those and the role that you see for those or not. Yeah. Uh, and this is a, a really valuable kind of reflective piece for me because, you know, I having written a book on orthopedic assessment, that was a huge part of what I have spent many, many years teaching. And um, I've really uh, changed perspective a great deal on how much emphasis we, we put on those and how much we use them 
for the whole tissue evaluation process when we're trying to figure out what might be going on with our clients. Uh, there's still uh, one of the things that we kind of mentioned, and there's still value in these procedures and they can be used more effectively. We got some comments that came back from people about this and a few other things that came up in some of the um, you know, Facebook groups and stuff mm-hmm. about these things. And I think one of the, the key themes around there is there's still some significant value in many of these tests for ruling out really serious problems yeah. in many instances. They may not be as accurate in really giving us confirmation that something's there, but they can certainly be helpful in many instances to rule out more serious types of complaints. And the other thing that I would really emphasize that came out of that is that they should never be used in a vacuum of uh-huh. just like, I'm just going to go through and do these shoulder tests and now I know what's going on. Um, you're missing a whole bunch of information just with that kind of narrow vision. Well, it's it's a it's a interesting paradox because we want to know what's happening so that we can do something to help or affect it. Yeah. And these tests hold the promise of giving us some information. Yeah. If I can provoke the movement or if I feel a difference or the client feels a difference, then that tells me what to do. But they are out of favor in many ways and because of the if-then thinking. If I see this, then I should do that. And that's not always the case. Yeah. And yeah. You did talk about some great ways to balance that tendency. Yeah. And still uh, wanted, find the usefulness in them. I wanted to share also a quote I heard from somebody that somebody had posted this on social media the other day or a week or two ago or something uh, in talking about, you know, a, a topic similar to this of, you know, when is it necessary that we really try to find out, you know, what tissue might be causing right. certain types of things. Nice. And there are instances where, you know, pain is not necessarily caused by specific tissue damage. Right. And that's become a big theme from a lot of, especially the pain science community. But that has also, I think, led people away from looking for it when it might potentially be an issue. And somebody had put this quote out there because there's, you know, this concept pain is not necessarily indicative of tissue damage except when it is, you know, (laughs) and that's an important thing to remember is that there are still going to be times when it is. uh, And if it's helpful to figure that out, to manage your approach, that's valuable. Um, But just keep in mind, remember that a lot of times it's not going to be as uh, clearly identified as we once thought it might be. Well, when a lot of the, uh, pain science debates were starting a decade ago, whatever it was. I mean, there were all the accusations of let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater just because it's not always the tissue doesn't mean it's never the tissue. And I think again, a decade on or whatever it's been, we're, we're finding a much more balanced or uh, maybe nuanced perspective on the role that tissue can play in pain or how our thinking in tissue bound ways might actually limit us. Yeah. Being effective there. Yeah. So I like to, I like to, to think that we're getting back closer to a balance and away from a pendulum swing there. So that's, that's a good thing. Isn't it nice that society is becoming so balanced and swing. Oh, we are so very balanced. Little. Yeah. Yeah. We have well, so little so many... discord and we're very balanced. Oh boy. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, I mean, we're all learning about that. Aren't we? We're learning how to deal with, uh, yeah. Discord. I hope. I hope that's what we're doing. At least we're getting a, a crash course in living through this. Yeah, Discord. I'm not. I'm not sure how much learning is going. On right now. Okay. I think you're more right that we're we're getting a crash course in living with it. But uh, yeah. yeah, I'm not convinced about how much learning is really happening. I will tell. Yeah. In the meantime, lots of uh, grist for our collective mills there. Yeah. 
what did we talk about next? Our last uh, episode of the year, content-wise, other than this one we're doing, uh, was a interesting deep dive into some more fascial research with Dr. Antonio Stecco from Italy. Yes. He joined us for a fascinating conversation about these things. Yeah, and he's he's been his research has been really uh, instrumental in helping define the different layers and mechanisms involved in the fascial effects that we do see and what the actual effects are. He's come up with some interesting imaging ways and he's, he's uh, particularly good at clarifying what can be a very amorphous situation there. So I was really pleased to have his ear and have, you know, give him some, a chance to talk through some of the questions together. Yeah. Enjoyed yeah. That a lot. Yeah, great discussion, and and uh, uh, as you noted too, and and he spoke about here, he and his whole family have been working on this for many years, and have just put out a tremendous wealth of information, of some really fascinating stuff. To if you want to, you know, help expand your understanding and and build out your library of great resources, they've got some wonderful things that they've been been doing there in, in this work for a very long time. Yep. All right, so that's that was our year, and then we have this one. Uh, do you know like what our top episodes were out of those fifty something? I don't. I would have to go back and look at stats, but I'm going to hope that maybe you actually did that. And I, that was the prompt uh, I, for well. What we're doing. <laughs> I did that, uh, and let me pull up that page here. Uh, the top downloads and just in terms of downloads and it does vary quite a bit it's really interesting to see like a factor of three sometimes really? sometimes we're wow. three times more interesting than other times yeah apparently but uh robert Schleip again topped our charts like he did last year mm -hmm. again his episode which was um fit 45 again was our most downloaded episode uh also high on the charts was Shoulder pain, impingement, and rotator cuff issues, 34. There's something about shoulder pain that really gets people's attention. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just think it's, first of all, it's it's a common challenge for lots of clients. And it's something yes. where we often don't see uh, easy results. Uh, makes people want to learn more about what's going on there and try to figure it out because it's a complex uh, region. Yep. Structurally our, and functionally. It sure is. So a bunch of our technical uh, episodes got real high downloads mm -hmm. as well as Todd Hargroves and uh, many of the others there along the way, but it's uh, including our retrospective from last year that the, our version of this a year ago, where we gave a, an overview of what we've been talking about and pointed people back towards specific topics. Yeah. That was a popular one as well. Yeah. So what's, what's uh, what do you picture in our coming year with? I'm looking forward to some new fascinating discussions on all kinds of stuff. And um, yeah. as we always mention to folks, let us know if you got ideas of things that you want to hear some more about. I'm sure in this next year, we'll do a couple more deep dives on some specific clinical pathological kinds of things. We'll have some mm -hmm. more expansive discussions with people on, uh, you know, philosophical perspectives, uh, expand our thinking and understanding of things and hopefully interview some other researchers and people that have published stuff um, and help you become a more broad thinking practitioner. That is our goal. Thinking practitioner. There it is. Yeah. yeah I've got a wish list of people to interview. And since I haven't asked them yet, I can't even say who it is, but there's, I got some like dream conversations that I've been longing to have. 
Yeah, and then some cool. topics that I want to make sure that we that I get some time with are the continuing question of how do we actually inspire our clients to take action around their own health, whether it is That's to a go, big for, one. yeah, mm-hmm. whether it's to go for a walk or to be you know interested enough in the session to report back what they're feeling or to make healthy choices in their life. How, what role do we have in that? That's that's kind of an ongoing light of inquiry yeah. for me. I will look forward to listening to that episode. <laughs> it may be an episode. It may be a yeah, theme. Maybe and a theme, this, yeah. Uh, I'm going to welcome you to your 60s here pretty soon as you have your birthday in a couple of weeks. And then we'll see how that comes into us. The theme is like, how do we live well yeah. and age well and work as practitioners? How do we work well as we grow older as well? Yeah, that sounds good. Well, I will look forward to another um, exciting and interesting and engaging year with you. So I look forward to some of those conversations. True for me too. Yeah. And we would also like to thank uh, all of those people who've been hanging around listening and in particular, thank our sponsors. Um, ABMP in particular is proud to sponsor the Thinking Practitioner podcast. And ABMP membership gives massage therapists and body workers exceptional liability insurance numerous discounts, and great resources to help you thrive, like their ABMP podcast, which is available at abmp.com forward slash podcasts or wherever you happen to listen. And even if you're not a member, you can get free access to Massage and Bodywork magazine, where you, Whitney, and I are frequent contributors, and special offers for thinking practitioner listeners at abmp.com slash thinking. And we'd like to say a thank you to all of our sponsors in particular. If you can stop by our sites for uh, any handouts, show notes, transcripts, and any extras that are over there, you can find that from my site at academyofclinicalmassage.com. And Till, where can people find that from you? Advanced-trainings.com. If there are questions, suggestions, feedback, accolades, complaints, whatever you'd like, uh, miracles, spontaneous remissions, etc. Oh, yeah. write those about write us about those. Uh, at in, the email address, rather info at thethinkingpractitioner.com or look for us each on social media, just at our names, Till Luca and your name. Today, Whitney. my name is Whitney Lowe. You can find yes. me over there uh, that way uh, under right. Whitlow on Twitter. I'll shorten oh. it that way okay. because I was only allowed a certain number of characters to put in my name. <laughs> yes. Um, not true, but anyway, but in general, You can, uh, if you will, this will be a favor for us. Rate us on Apple Podcasts as it does help other people find the show. And uh, you can hear us on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you happen to listen. We do thank you for listening and hope you've gotten some good things out of that. So do please share the word and tell a friend. And of course, as always, if you're unable to find us in any of those locations, you can rub two sticks together on a night with a north wind and a harvest moon, and you'll hear us in the wind. Wow. I haven't tried that. Is that like research-based? It is. I've done all these things. That's so cool. I want to tell you. That's right. That's awesome. No, you telling, you know, our sponsors are kind enough to actually help us cover the cost of doing that, but you telling other people is how you help us cover those costs. So thanks for doing that, everybody. And thank you, Whitney, for another great year. I'm looking forward to the next one. Indeed, me as well. So uh, we'll see everybody else in a couple of weeks. Um, Have a good uh, late uh, part of the year holiday season, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. 